0: You're listening to the Sunday sermon from Crossroads Bible Church in Bellevue, Washington. To learn more about Crossroads, visit us on our website at cbcbellevue.com. How many of you have ever heard the expression everything rises and falls on leadership? Go ahead, raise your hand if you've heard that expression. Not very many of you. Oh, this is wonderful, actually. I first heard that cliche when I was in seminary. Everything rises and falls on leadership. In other words, leadership is the top priority in every church, business, school, and organization. But when I first heard that expression, I thought to myself, no, no, that that can't be. What about all the non-leaders, those that don't have a gift of leadership or aren't using their gift of leadership? What about leaders who are exercising other gifts? They're serving in other areas or their job description is focused in different spheres. What about them? And what about Christ and what Christ and the apostles say? Jesus loves using weak and foolish people, not strong and capable people. I thought to myself, how is it that a God who is able to speak through a donkey in Numbers chapter 22 really needs leaders? Have you ever wondered about that? Does everything rise and fall on leadership? Ultimately, how important is leadership? Now, I won't answer that question for businesses, organizations, and schools. But Peter will answer this question for churches, for churches like CBC. He'll do so in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Peter is going to explain... In four-and-a-half verses, because we're only looking at the first half of verse 5, why leadership may indeed matter. And he focuses in on elders. Elders are church leaders. And the term elder actually refers to an older man. So now, don't give our elders grief for being older men. But elders in the early church were set apart in every city to be able to govern the church, to be able to lead the church. Elders were responsible for theologically ensuring that the church was rock solid. They also were shepherds. They shepherded the flock that God had entrusted to them. And that was the primary way that they led the church. Now you may be saying, Keith, I'm not an elder. I don't aspire to be an elder. So can I just tune out this morning? That's, that's a legitimate question, believe it or not. Because this is a very targeted passage. And because we go through the Bible verse by verse, we just can't skip passages that may not be as pertinent or applicable in the minds of everyone. But here's the thing. This may be one of the most important messages that you will hear about the church. And as I look out on you, many of you are church women and church men. You love the local church, and you love Crossroads Bible Church in particular. And some of you, as I look out, you've been here for decades. So you care deeply about this church. With that said, when you read this passage and as we study it together, we're going to find what God expects of the leadership of our church, particularly our elders. And then you're going to have the opportunity in the days, weeks, months, and years to come to pray for our leaders. You can look at this passage and see what God expects of our spiritual leaders, and you could go to our website and look through our staff and elders, and you could pray for these individuals, and you could pray this very passage over them. Now, what you're also going to find is whether you're a woman or a man, in whatever capacity you're leading in our church, in whatever area you're leading outside of our church, a parent, a grandparent, a sibling, a student, perhaps someone who's working in a leadership position in their place of employment, there are principles in this passage that indirectly apply to all of you. And the argument that I would use is this. This passage is written to those who are spiritually mature leaders. And since we're building disciples who bring Jesus to our world, our expectation is that all of you will be taking steps, next steps, to become more and more spiritually mature. And I would also argue that all of you are leaders in one area of your life or another someone, somewhere, somehow is following you. I'm convinced of that. So when we read this passage, no one can tune out. No one can say, I'm going to snooze this morning. I've got a free pass. No, this text is for each and every one of us. And it sets the bar high for all of us to pursue what it means to be a spiritually mature leader. So Peter is going to share with us three expectations. Three expectations that will help local churches become healthy and strong like CBC. The first expectation is found in verses 1 through 3. Peter is going to say, shepherd God's flock. Now this command, shepherd God's flock, occurs in verse 2. But before Peter gets to verse 2, he sets it up with a heartwarming appeal to his readers and listeners. Listen to these words. Therefore, in light of what Peter has said about suffering in the previous context, Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Now, this is beautiful. Peter is an apostle. An apostle is one who is over the entire church of Jesus Christ. But Peter says, I'm a fellow elder. In other words, I'm in the trenches with you shepherds. An elder is over a particular local church. Elders are over the local church. Apostles are over the church, capital C. But Peter wants to identify with the elders, with the shepherds. And so instead of issuing a command right out of the gate, he encourages, he appeals. This word means to come alongside. Peter comes alongside other spiritual leaders and he loves on them with a word of encouragement. Look at verse one. After saying he's their fellow elder, he says he's also like them a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now immediately people jump to the fact, well yes, Peter observed Jesus Christ's sufferings. He saw Jesus Christ go to the cross. And that's certainly true. But Peter has just said, I'm a fellow elder with you. Then he says I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and he's suggesting, like you. Well, not all of these elders, in fact, none of them, saw the sufferings of Christ firsthand. Peter is talking about the witness that these elders are exhibiting through their lives and through their lips. Just like in an Acts chapter 1 verse 8 sense, we are to be Christ's witnesses to our local community and to the outskirts of the entire world. So Peter is encouraging these elders and he's reminding them that they too will be partakers of the glory that is to be revealed. Now we won't fully understand that until we hit verse 4. But I can tell you this, Peter is saying, as an elder, as a team of elders, spiritual leaders, one day glory is going to be revealed. Now we know from the letter of 1 Peter, this is a reference to Jesus Christ's return. So Christ will one day crack the sky. We will rise with him to go into eternity. And Peter is saying, when that day happens... Elders are going to be participants and partakers in glory. Not just being in the presence of Christ, but as verse 4 will say, being rewarded by Christ for their faithfulness in this life and in their ministry. What a powerful way to set up Peter's expectations for elders. It's beautiful. Now what Peter is going to do is he's going to move from just laying out an appeal to issuing a command and then giving expectations for how this command will actually flesh itself out. So look at verse 2. Peter commands the elders, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising authority. Now this is a command. This is the command in this section. So you could put an exclamation point right by shepherd the flock. Now, the particular verb tense here has a sense of urgency. Peter is saying, elders, the most important thing that you can do is to shepherd the flock of God among you. In other words, there's a lot of administrative duties that elders could get caught up in. There's a lot of distracting influences that elders could be absorbed in. But he says, I want you to shepherd God's people. I want you to come alongside the people of God. I want you to love them. I want you to care for them. I want you to comfort them. I want you to disciple them. Now, why is this so important? Because in the first century, you may recall, Peter's audience is being opposed by authorities. They're living in a spiritually hostile world that is coming against them. Now, we are not quite where Peter's readers and listeners were, but with every passing day, we get closer to hardship and persecution. That's one of the reasons we pray for the persecuted church every Sunday. And it's another reason we should be praying for the persecuted church in our homes and in our community groups and in our ministry groups every single day when we gather and in our families because we need to be reminded of God's global church and we also need to remember what's coming our way and why elders are so important and why being in a local church is so necessary you're gonna need spiritual leaders to shepherd you. I'm gonna need spiritual leaders to shepherd me, or we're not gonna make it. We're not gonna be able to persevere in the way that we desire. I'm not speaking of eternal salvation here. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, that matter has been taken care of. I'm talking about continuing to pursue ministry, loving the church growing as a disciple, that's what we're talking about. And elders will be essential to us being able to accomplish our vision and values. Now, I want you to notice in verse 2, there's a couple of important insights. First of all, Peter says, shepherd the flock of God. It is so easy to blow through this. But what Peter is saying is, the local church does not belong to the staff or to the elders. It belongs to God. It is His church. So I have to occasionally catch myself if I ever slip and say, my church or our church. No, it's God's church. Crossroads doesn't belong to any of us. Now I'm all for saying my home church is Crossroads. Don't get me wrong. I'm not nuancing this too tightly. I'm just saying I need the reminder that the church belongs to God, that you belong to God, and I need to care for you as a shepherd, and our elders and staff need to care for you as shepherds. But notice Peter also says, I want you to shepherd the flock of God among you. This is another important observation that just evades us. In a day and age when people are leaving the local church frequently, as frequently as changing undergarments at times, we leave the local church because we we live in a consumeristic country. And the region of our country that we live in is really consumeristic. So when there's not the right program, when there's not the right ministry, when my gifts aren't being used to the degree that I would like, when things are said or done that I don't like, I can just pack up and leave. And that's totally true. Now, that's not true in the vast majority of the world, but that's true in Bellevue, Washington. This is important for you to hear. I am asked continuously, Who should I invest in? How should I spend my time? Who should be the ones that I try to disciple and mentor and train? These are decisions that all of us have to make before God. But my general rule of thumb is, if we're talking about people outside of our family, we ought to look directly into the church that we are currently attending. We are to shepherd the flock among us. Over the years of my ministry, I've had many people leave churches I've pastored. Hundreds of people. And they will often ask me, would you continue to disciple me and mentor me? What do you think my answer is? My answer is, I'm not going to be able to do that because I'm responsible for a particular group of believers. And I want to see those believers discipled for Jesus Christ. And here's the other thing. I don't want to take away the privilege of discipling you from your new pastor. See, many times we actually do a disservice to the church in the region we serve because we continue ongoing spiritual relationships with those that really need to be loved in the context that they're finding community and serving. Now, I know that this isn't going to make some of you happy, but I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here to make you holy. I'm here to help us build disciples who bring Jesus to our world. That doesn't mean that you can't have social relationships with people. That doesn't mean I can't, who are outside of CBC. It just means Our responsibility is to build disciples within the church that we are serving in and then to build relationships with our unbelieving neighbors, classmates, acquaintances, and coworkers. And you know what I have found? There isn't enough time in the week to do everything that we want to do and to meet with everyone we want to meet. So think of it this way. Who's the one person I could shepherd who's a part of CBC? Who's the one person I could shepherd who is an unbeliever who needs to become a disciple of Jesus Christ? And then if you have more time, feel free to disciple outside of CBC. But we need all the help we can get. This is a clarion call. All hands on deck. We need you to build disciples who bring Jesus to our world. It is not just elders, even though elders are focused on here. Now, I want you to see what Peter does. Peter says, I'm going to tell you now how elders, and by way of indirect application, all of us can think through ministry in church. He's going to tell us what it looks like to exercise authority, verse two. He says, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Don't you love that? Not under compulsion. That sounds like a jail sentence, not a ministry responsibility. And yet how many elders and servants of the Lord are invited to participate or to serve in an area and they don't want to? And so they accept begrudgingly because they were asked or they feel this obligation or no one else is meeting that need and they step into it and it's under Compulsion. They are not compelled by the Holy Spirit to serve in that particular area. So when I am talking to people, I always ask them, How has God wired you? What's your sweet spot? What's your niche? What do you love doing? And frequently people will respond, Where's the need in the church? What do you need done? Now, that's wonderful because that's selfless, that's humble, and that's sacrificial. But I know something that they may not know, that if I plug them into areas where we have need, what's going to happen? They're going to be unhappy, and we're going to be unhappy. Because unless you're able to really help people find the way God has wired them to serve in the body, the service won't last long, and it won't be as fruitful as it could be. So for our elders, we always want men who aspire to the office of elder. First Timothy 3, verse 1. Before Paul gives Timothy the elder qualifications about 20 of them in the New Testament, he says, before I even get to that, let me say this. I want men who are hungry. I want men who want this. Because if you think being an elder is just being a power broker and making a lot of decisions and leading God's people and being the top dog, boy, are you in for a rude awakening. Elders find themselves in the crucible of suffering. Elders are typically unappreciated and find themselves in a situation where they're discouraged, they're depressed, they're even disillusioned. Sometimes it's not just with the church. Sometimes it can even be with Christ because being an elder is difficult. So a part of eldership, and I would dare say serving in the church, is counting the costs. What does the Lord want me to do, and am I willing to do it in His strength for His glory and for the good of the body? Not with any compulsion, but voluntarily. Do you see that? But voluntarily. Voluntarily. In other words, an elder says, I want to do whatever is necessary for the good of the church. I will sacrifice aspects of family time. I will prioritize the church at various times, even over my work and my leisure, and I will do so freely, voluntarily, I think something that we need to be reminded of is this. Our elders serve voluntarily. I have to tell them regularly, I'm paid to serve. I need to take this on. You serve for free. And I so respect you. I so appreciate you. Because this is a gut check for anyone Do you love the local church so much that you will serve her for free? I know elders here at CBC who have served our church for 30-plus years. They've done it for free. These are the men that deserve to be esteemed. These are the men who the church has been built upon. We have the foundation of Christ, and then we have elders who have helped support the work of the church, and do so over the course of not just years, but decades. And they do it freely. Now look at verse 2, because Peter says this is according to the will of God. It's God's will that there be men and women who serve in various capacities of the church, and they do so in a way that honors God. And they do so with the right heart, with the right motives, with the right attitudes. In verse 2, Peter also gives us a second set of contrasts, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Sordid gain. I mean, that sounds like a Star Wars villain, doesn't it? (laughs) We're like, what's sordid gain? Sordid gain is elders, pastors, ministers who are seeking to get rich. And we have this in ministry today throughout the church of America and throughout the church of the world. There are individuals who are going into ministry in order to get wealthy and to have a comfortable existence. Now, I am not saying it's wrong to be paid. I'm saying it's a matter of motivation. What is our motivation in serving the Lord? It's not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Do you see that contrast? Peter says, Don't worry about money, worry about service. Don't try to take advantage of the people you're serving in order to get wealthy from your serving. He says, Put the needs of the body above your own desires. See, this isn't about needs. Every church should pay those that are serving in a full-time capacity a livable wage. Crossroads has done that so well. This is talking about those who desire money inappropriately. What we should desire is to eagerly serve the body in a fervent and passionate way. What happens? Ministry becomes a delight, not a duty. It becomes something that we are passionate about. In verse 3, we see our third and final set of contrasts. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Peter uses an interesting word, and it's as if he's writing in the 21st century. He says that there are elders and pastors and staff that actually lord it over. This term means to be master over those that they're called to serve as under shepherds. What's one of the greatest problems that's facing the church of Jesus Christ today in America? Authoritarian leaders. I don't need to throw out specific names, but I could. And you would know them if I said them. There are those who are using their strong gifts of leadership to ultimately get what they may desire from a church. And it can be in the name of Christ. In other words, we need to build disciples who bring Jesus to our world. And this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it. And you're going to elevate my platform, and we're going to sell these books And we're going to promote this podcast. And we're going to do this and that. And what ends up happening is people feel the pressure. They feel the angst because the church is not about an individual. It's about Christ. And it's about a plurality of elders. It's my belief that the New Testament emphasizes a plurality of elders, not a single elder. So, I may have the title senior pastor, and there may be other pastors. But we aren't even the chairman of the elders. And we certainly aren't what verse 4 will talk about, the chief shepherd. We need to understand our roles and responsibilities. Those of us who are elders a dozen plus of us, we have one vote that's prayerfully cast. And we come together as a team. And we make all of our decisions theologically, philosophically, and practically as a team in submission to one another and in submission to Christ. So understand There will not, by God's grace at Crossroads, be elders or staff that lord it over members of the church. Verse 3 says, We have those who have been allotted to our charge. This smacks of sovereignty, where God allots individuals, sheep who are part of the flock, to be a part of the Crossroads family. And with those sheep, we are to serve the Lord. How do we do so? We prove to be examples to the flock. Those who are elders and those who are spiritually mature, both women and men, must recognize that there are eyes looking at us at all times. There's children, there's teens, there's young adults, there are Are our peers, there are seasoned saints. Everyone is watching the leadership of the church, and we're responsible to set an example that's worthy of being followed. What do elders need to be reminded of? How can elders who are dealing with suffering and opposition and even hostility? How can they continue to do what God has called them to do? Verse 4 is going to tell us. Anticipate your reward. Anticipate your reward. That is the second expectation of elders. Peter is going to say, in light of the fact that elders will often grow weary in doing good, it's easy to lose heart. Peter says, don't just think about your present ministry. Think about the reward that is to come. Verse 4 is powerful. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive, y'all, y'all will receive the unfading crown of glory. I love verse 4. And when. Not and if. See, the reality is, the New Testament speaks of Christ's return eight times as much as the Old Testament speaks of Christ's coming. So let that sink in. Jesus Christ clearly came. No one refutes that, I hope. Jesus Christ came, but the New Testament writers say eight times as much about the fact that Jesus Christ will return. That ought to motivate us each and every day of our lives. That ought to be the obsession of our life. Christ's return. Notice Peter says the chief shepherd. When the chief shepherd returns, this is the only place where that term is used. Jesus is the first. Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. He's the ultimate pastor and elder. He's the one that we look to. He's the one that we focus on. Peter says, elders who shepherd well, they will receive the crown of glory. Now, do you see what he's done? He's tied it back into verse 1, where he says, elders will be partakers of glory. Now, he says, elders who are partakers of glory will receive a crown of glory. When Jesus Christ returns, those elders who have served well will be richly rewarded. In Peter's day, it was a temporary crown of celery and various other forms of vegetation. It was totally temporal. But Peter is promising an eternal crown, an eternal reward that the chief shepherd will give his under shepherds. This is so powerful. In Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, there's a picture of 24 elders worshiping God taking their crowns and laying them at the feet of Christ. Now these 24 elders in my opinion are not in reference to earthly elders who serve the local church. In fact many believe they represent angels. I believe they represent both men and women who are part of the church of Jesus Christ. But the word picture. And the analogy is beautiful because many of us have misunderstood what happens here. If you read it carefully, it is when or whenever the elders fall down, they cast their crowns. Revelation 4 is the first of six times where this occurs. And I would argue it occurs for all of eternity. Now, we don't know what the crowns are, and it doesn't matter. They could be figurative. They could be literal. But elders, those of us who represent the church of Jesus Christ and our spiritual leaders on earth, there will be the opportunity to lay crowns down as an expression of worship because of our love for Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any better than that. That all the suffering in this life, being a leader... And being a follower of Christ will one day be richly rewarded. The Apostle Paul says the same thing in the last chapter he ever penned in 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. He says, for those who love Jesus appearing like I do, there's a crown of righteousness. It's available to all of us. If we simply love Jesus' return, Peter is clear that elders who are faithful will be richly rewarded. Faithful service is the path to glory. That's the sermon in a sentence. That's the takeaway. Faithful service is the path to glory. Now remember, the themes of 1 Peter, suffering and glory. Now in chapter 5, he says, Faithful service. And they're suffering in that too. And glory. Now, we could conclude with this verse, but I believe verse 5a is included. I think we're going to see a third and final word here follow your leaders. What Peter is going to say is the younger in the midst of the congregation ought to follow their spiritual leaders. Look at verse 5. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders. Now you may be saying, younger men? I don't see that. It is translated that way in the New American Standard Bible, in the New Living Translation, and many scholars adopt that view. At the end of the day, no one can be entirely sure what Peter means because he uses an unusual term that means newer, fresher, younger. It could be speaking of experience. It could be speaking of spiritual maturity. It could be both men and women. It could be just men and a whole host of other possibilities. My personal opinion is that the New American Standard got it right. I think Peter is speaking specifically to men With application to everyone else in the church. Who are the most prideful, rebellious, stubborn types of people? Younger men. Who is it most difficult for younger men to submit to? Older men specifically spiritual leaders in the local church because younger men know what I used to know that we can do it better and that we're smarter and stronger and more talented. When I first went into full-time pastoral ministry, I am ashamed to say that my senior pastor used to chide me by saying, you suffer from young man's disease. Now, that used to just really bother me And then one time I blurted out, I hope I always suffer from young man's disease. Well, I had to repent for that because it demonstrated the truth of what my senior pastor was saying. See, the reality is, as young men, we don't know better. As young women, we don't know better. Young women suffer from young woman's disease and young men suffer from young man's disease. And what we need to do is we need to say to the spiritual leaders in our church, both the elders and those women and men who are serving in ministry or who are just spiritually mature, what do you think about this? What would you suggest I do? How can I learn from you? Asking questions that deal with mentoring and coaching. That's that's God's heart for us. And so as younger people... What we say to the elders in our midst is, we love you. We respect you. We're a next-gen-focused church, but the next-gen even needs to see in order for them to be all that God wants them to be, they need a coach, they need a mentor, they need a discipler. And so it's the responsibility of those of us who are seasoned, and it's the responsibility of the youth to make sure that we have someone in our life who will speak into us, who we can follow, who we can submit to. And I don't know any better individuals than our elders for that purpose. Many of you know that I've always been fascinated with the armed forces. And I'm especially intrigued by the Marines. The Marines have a slogan and an expression that they've had For many, many years, we're looking for a few good men. Semper Fi, always faithful. We're looking for those types of men. And the reality is, they will do whatever it takes to raise up those type of men and women. If the Marines are willing to do that, how much more so the Church of Jesus Christ? Should we not honor our elders, should we not seek to ensure that other young men are raised up for God's purposes in the local church? Absolutely. I'm convinced what makes Crossroads a great church is not the preaching. It's not the worship through singing. It's not the programs. It's not the building. It's the men who have served our church for years who have laid down their lives for us. They are the men to be elevated, they are the men to be appreciated, they are the men to be respected. If you've ever served as an elder at Crossroads Bible Church, would you just stand at this time? Stand up where you're currently seated. Go ahead and look around, everybody. Look around at these men. After the worship gathering, let them know how grateful you are. Let them know that you love them and are praying for them. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have sent the chief shepherd for our service, for our ministry for our well-being we could do nothing apart from him thank you that you've entrusted to us elders who are faithful who love the local church who have honored you lord would you protect these men would you protect their families would you strengthen them spiritually would you allow us to express our great love and respect for them Would you allow us to ensure that they're able to perform their responsibilities as easily as possible because of the respect that we give them, because of our prayers for them? Father, thank you for these men. And Lord, we just come before you this morning and we ask that each and every one of us would trust in the chief shepherd for eternal life, that we would believe in Christ That we would acknowledge our sin and that we would turn from our sin to the Savior, the Chief Shepherd. And that we would have assurance that we've crossed over from death to life. Thank you for the good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.